I'm not afraid anymore. Like, I'm not afraid of things. That doesn't mean that I don't have little fears that come up, but I have a vision for the kind of life that I want to lead and the kind of business that I'm building and the kind of impact that I want to create. And it makes whatever little fears that come up feel like nothing. Welcome. I'm your host, Dino Cattaneo, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. The word authentic comes from ancient Greek. It is the composite of two words, authos, which means the self, and entos, which means inside. So authentic really means the inside self or the true self. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. In our last episode, we talked about wealth management for the whole person with Marcel Quiroga. I also promised that today I would announce my favorite review and winner of the Ren Fishkin book. JZA not, you are the winner. Your review was short and sweet. And yes, authenticity does come with an Italian accent. Email me your address and I will send you the book. Today, we explore a different side of authenticity. About a year ago, our guest Casey Jones went through a harrowing experience where she almost lost her life. In our conversation, we dive deep into what happened to her. We talked about how it changed her, the gift she received from overcoming the challenge, and how going through that ordeal now informs all the work she does with her clients. It is a story much more powerful when you hear it from her. So let's jump right into it. We have Casey Jones with us. And Casey, why don't we start out, tell our listeners who you are and what you do. Yeah, like you just said, my name is Casey Jones. I am a coach for mostly entrepreneurs, but a lot of business professionals as well. And I help them do a couple of different things. The biggest thing is I I help them get very, very clear on who they are, what they want, who they serve, and then how to build a life and a career around those things. And so for entrepreneurs, it's, you know, how do you get very clear on, on your messaging, on your purpose, on your mission and business, and how do you use that to actually grow and scale a company for business professionals and also team leaders? How do you support yourself and the people on your team to have that sense of purpose, have that sense of why, so that we can show up as more complete and bolder and stronger people and lead more fulfilling lives and as we go through that whole process. Thank you. The reason why I asked you to be on this episode is that you have recently been through a very serious life-threatening episode and have actually been pretty honest and transparent about what happened to you uh, in, in public social media forums. So maybe if that's okay with you, what I would ask you to do is tell us what happened to you. And then um, we can talk about how going through that ordeal has changed the way you think, you live, and how you work with people. Absolutely. And it's it's the timing is very interesting because I am, what is the date right now? We're at the end of May. I'm coming up on a year. This happened on June 10th of last year. So, you know, been thinking about it a lot lately. So yeah, so just about a year ago, obviously home because of the pandemic and 
my my rescue dog attacked me. And I want to be very clear. I'm a big dog lover. This is a very kind of freak accident. This was a very specific type of dog with a very, very troubled history. So this is not common of rescue dogs at all. I don't want anybody listening to use this as an excuse not to adopt a dog. But we had taken in this dog. Um, someone else had rescued him because he was at a kill shelter and we wound up taking him in and, and he had some serious issues and some serious challenges with our other dog. And I could tell he, my dog started barking and I could tell that this dog was going to go after her. And so I got her out of the house. And by the time I did, um, the switch had been flipped and he was going to attack something and I was the only one there. And so he, he went after me and we're not, he is not a little dog. He was a 110 pound dog. So very, very big. And I fought like hell, but realized pretty after a few minutes, I was going to say pretty quickly, it did not feel quick that I wasn't going to be able to get out of this one on my own. And so I managed to get the side door to my house open and my neighbor, I just started screaming and it took a few minutes thank God for the pandemic because everyone was home and thank God it was a beautiful day because they all had their windows open. And so um, my neighbors wound up hearing my cries for help and came and saved me. But I had, you know, very extensive damage to my arms. Um, And so I spent several days in the hospital, four days in the hospital. I had pretty um, extensive surgery, but was very fortunate, no other than some pretty gnarly scars, nothing permanent. And um, I was very fortunate to be taken to one of the best hospitals in the city that I live in, Portland, Oregon, and they did amazing work. And I lived to tell the tale. Yeah. And, you know, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I actually had a similar experience where I almost lost my life when I was 15. I fell 100 feet into a crevasse while I was skiing. And, you know, those those three or four seconds of the fall, I remember as like the longest three or four seconds of my life. You know, I remember thinking about all the people that would be taught. Like I have this image of thinking about my high school class. You know, this was a vacation holiday time. Like somebody walking in and say, Dino is not coming back. And so... I'm curious, you you mentioned those were like a few minutes, but they were very, very long. I'm you know curious to think, you know, what what were you thinking? What was that experience like? I was sure I was gonna die. Um I thought for sure that I was gonna die, that I was gonna bleed out. And um and I remember so I blacked out for several minutes. I remember standing at the doorway and seeing my neighbor, the the wife, like kind of run to the end of my driveway and she looked at me and then ran to go get her husband. And then I don't remember anything. And then the next thing I remember, I'm lying on the side, the stoop to on the side of my house. My across the street neighbor is sitting in my kitchen holding my hand. My neighbor, the the husband next door, he is holding this dog. And I just remember just, I just kept repeating, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And, and, um, they kept saying, no, you're going to be okay. The ambulance is on the way. 
And then I started to think, okay, maybe I'm going to make it, but I'm going to be deformed. That's what I kept thinking because there was, I mean, substantial kind of tissue damage in my arms. And I just remember thinking about how I wasn't done, how there was more I wanted to do. There was a whole life I wanted to live and I wanted to do something that mattered. And it felt It felt like, I don't know, as I got through it, it felt like I'd been given this second chance. It felt like I had this reset button on life. And and I, I'll be honest, it's it's very hard for people to understand this, but this experience turned into, and I am not exaggerating, the greatest blessing of my life. Because I came out of it with this understanding of, I mean, not only just such an immense gratitude for the little things in life, um, but it also showed me how incredibly good and kind people are. The people, I, I'm not a great neighbor, honestly. <laughs> I've lived here. We weren't close. We barely knew each other. I'm awkward with my neighbors, and they didn't think twice about coming and saving me. And, but it also helped me recognize that I had been given the second chance and that I couldn't waste it. And, you know, I've spent most of my life and most of my professional life not doing the things that I really wanted and the things that I was really driven to do because I was trying to be reasonable or responsible or do what I thought I should do or what people told me was the smart move instead of what I really wanted. And I came out of this experience like I couldn't do it anymore. You know, I only, the only thing I could spend my time and attention on were things that I felt really mattered to me. And it completely changed how I show up in the world um, what's important to me, the kind of life I want to live. And it's something that now I don't, I wouldn't wish this experience on anyone, believe me, but I am deeply, deeply grateful for it for myself personally. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing. Cause I, I know it must be hard every time to relieve the experience. Um, but what, I, you know, the one thing that struck me is obviously, so you went through the experience and then I think at some point, what really struck me is when you made the decision to start talking about it publicly in a forum like LinkedIn, which is a quote unquote professional forum. So, you know, what drove that decision and, and, and how did you feel as you were sort of starting the process to talk about it. Okay. So what, what drove it? So this happened on a Wednesday and I, the damage was so extensive that they couldn't operate on me on Wednesday. And so they had to temporarily stitch me up and then reopen everything. And I had like 
four-hour surgery on Thursday. And on Thursday, they finally uh, were able to get me a I almost said a hotel room. It was not a hotel room, a hospital room. My first night in there, they didn't have an empty bed. And so they had to, I had to stay in the emergency room the first night. And so when uh, Thursday, they actually got me a, a hospital room on the trauma ward. And, and you know, I, I, I had slept maybe an hour the night before and I came out of surgery and, and um, I was very, very lucky because that day was the first day and the first hospital and the first like floor or or wing of a hospital was it was this hospital's trauma ward was the very first one that allowed any patients to have visitors since the start of the pandemic so i quite literally was saw one i was a patient that saw like the first visitor in you know at that point what two or three months and three months. So I spent the afternoon with my boyfriend, my partner, and and then he left, you know, at maybe nine o'clock at night because I was getting super tired and, and to let me sleep. But when we're when you're in the hospital, they come into your room all the time. And so they they came in at maybe one o'clock in the morning to give me medication or to check on me, and they woke me up and I couldn't go back to sleep. And I despite the fact that I'd barely slept at all in like two days and had been on all this medication and all these other things. I um, spent the whole night awake and crying because I was too afraid to sleep. And I remember having this like aha moment, probably at four or five o'clock in the morning where I realized that if I didn't start talking about this, it would become exponentially harder for me every single day to talk about it at all. And I knew that my instinct was to not talk about it to anyone and to retreat and be quiet and deal with this on my own. And I knew that that wasn't what I needed. I just knew in my gut that I needed, I needed people to rally around me. I needed that support and I needed to be able to talk about it. And so, I don't know, probably at six o'clock in the morning, I, and by the way, like, you know, my hands were, my hands and arms were completely bandaged. So I couldn't type on my phone. So I had to auto dictate, you know, a message. And I decided at, I don't know, probably five o'clock in the morning that I was going to put something out on social media to just let people know what was going on. And part of it was because I needed people to support me. Part of it was because I needed people to understand why I wasn't going to be able to service clients the way I was, that my business needed to be put on hold, all of this. I didn't want to put my my two employees in the position where they were forced to explain all of this in detail to everybody. And I knew I just needed to put it out there so that it was impossible for me to crawl into a cave and not speak to anybody because I knew that that would just be the worst possible move that I could make for myself. And so I did it. And it was the best thing that I did. Because when we talk about our trauma, when we talk about our pain, it it is a release. It helps us process it. It gives people, other people, some understanding about what's going on for us. It gives other people an opportunity to help us and to support us. And it makes it so that we don't go through this 
alone. And I, I've got to be honest, and I know this is a strange thing, but I have always struggled with asking for help. Like I'm really, really bad at it. It's always been incredibly hard for me. And so I knew that putting it out there would make a bunch of people come and offer help instead of me reaching out to people being like, hey, this thing happened. Can you please help me? And what was amazing about it is, I mean, the offers of help and the offers of support just kept coming and were made it so much easier for me to get through this experience and so much easier for the people around me to get the, get support as well. And it made it so that I didn't, I was going to say so that I didn't ever feel lonely. That's not true. Trauma is an incredibly lonely experience, even when you get all that support, but I felt a lot less lonely than I would have otherwise. Thank you. You know, I'm listening here and I just like, it's such a powerful story. You reset the button, you said. What are some of the key, you know, as you think about resetting the button, some, what are some of the key changes that you noticed in yourself and the way you work and interact with others? I'm not afraid anymore. Like, I'm not afraid of things. I, that doesn't mean that I don't have little fears that come up, but I have a vision for the kind of life that I want to lead and the kind of business that I'm building and the kind of impact that I want to create. And it makes whatever little fears that come up feel like nothing. The way I describe it is I feel like it cracked my heart open. And I know that can sound awful, but it's not. It's, yeah, I feel things very deeply now you will notice I cry a lot more easily than I ever used to. But here's the thing. Yeah, I cry about sad things. I cry about happy things too. I, I, I've learned something about myself. So I remember talking to my therapist. Oh, and by the way, let me be very clear. Best decision I made is I was already in therapy. I That same night, I sent a voice message to my therapist and I was like, I'm going to need help and I'm going to need a lot of it. And so I went from every other week to twice a week for several months and have dove deep into how I heal from this, how I heal from all of the experiences that this kind of stirred up for me so that I can be the person that I want and I can create the life that I want. But I remember talking to him a couple months ago and I said, no, it's probably six months ago now. And I said, you know, I'm crying at a lot of things and not just sad things. And he was like, okay, start to pay attention to what? And I'm, I'm going to cry just say, describing this. So I realized that there's two things that make me cry. Anytime I see or hear a story about someone else's transformation, I start to cry. And every time I see or hear a story of the role that someone else played in someone's transformation, I start to cry. I don't ever want to lose that. I don't ever want to lose being moved by that. And so, yeah, there's there's a rawness. But what that means is that I connect more deeply to people. I feel more deeply. I am inspired more easily. I am connected to life and to others in a way that I think I avoided for so much of my life. And it is, to me, it is... It's the greatest gift that I ever could have asked for. 
And so, and I should say, yes, I'm connected to others. I'm also connected to myself in a much deeper way. Like I'd spent a lifetime doing what I thought would make other people happy or proud of me. And I am finally doing things that motivate and inspire me. And let me tell you, getting getting through the hard shit is a lot easier when you have a true sense of purpose. And when you see that big picture and when you can feel connected to the why you do things and the vision for what you're trying to build. And I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, it, this really resonates with me and I'm almost crying too, because actually I went through a depression about 20 years ago. And one of the outcoming effects is this crying, you know, it's something that I've experienced. And I, I had a, uh, there's a story. <laughs> I was at the Sundance Festival, and only my wife, who was there, knows the story. Um, and we went to see. There was a documentary about the New York Dolls. I, at the time, I was part time writing for an Italian entertainment magazine, and I wanted to interview the director. So it was a you know it was a, as a festival he was there, and I went and I told to him and because that music was so connected to different parts of my life and seeing the story of this bass player, you know, as a serve the reunion, as I am about to tell to the director, I bursted out crying, like sobbing in front of this guy. And then I'm like, yeah, he, you know, he is a definitely going to interview the crazy Italian who, <laughs> you know, I want to be interviewed by that guy, the guy who's sobbing with, but this is like, this is, so true. I, I cry so much more these days. And I think that's a that's a forgotten release and habit, the ability to get moved like that. Yeah. And it's look, I'm a big believer and I talk about this all the time now. Like our emotions are clues. Right? When we ignore them or or when we when we shame ourselves for feeling them, we're not we're not listening to one of the greatest like lessons or signs that our mind and our body and our heart is trying to tell us about ourselves. And so this is what I loved about my therapist, right? I was like, oh yeah, I'm crying at a lot of things. Like, I'm not sure if I should be like worried about this. And he was like, pay attention to what is making you cry. And as soon as I realized what it was, it was like, oh yeah. Okay. My purpose in life is helping others have their going through their transformation. So yeah, it kind of makes sense that I would cry tears of gratitude and joy and inspiration when I see somebody go through that. And as soon as I realized that, I was like, damn, why would I ever want to stop this? Like, this is me celebrating my life's purpose and my life's work. And that feeling, like now I recognize, dude, this is a superpower for me. And because I am not afraid to show that emotion and to feel these things, I make it safe for other people to feel those things in their own lives and show that emotion for themselves. And like, for me, there's no, I mean, there's no greater purpose for me than helping somebody else feel the strength and the courage to show up authentically and holistically as themselves. And so if I got to, if I've got to get a couple of like snide looks because I cry all the time, I'll take it. I'll take it. So this is actually a great point to transition to my next question, which is 
after you've discovered the superpower for yourself and you you said you work with entrepreneurs and and you know and business people how do you help them discover the same power or how do you, you know how do you bring this experience that you've had so that maybe they can get the benefits without you know getting this close to losing their life <laughs> yes so the, the biggest thing and, and so you'll hear me say this I talk a lot about how my ultimate vision is is I want to be the female tattooed cursing Mr. Rogers, but for adults instead of children. And here's why. What did Mr. Rogers actually teach us about kids? He taught us that what makes children special is what makes them different, right? And that we need to celebrate the, our differences, like that's that's what makes us powerful. That's what makes us unique. And way too often as entrepreneurs as business professionals, as humans in general, definitely as kids, we're taught to blend in. We're taught to do what people, what, what we think others want. But what I work on with clients is how do you tap into the stuff that makes you different? Okay. And so one of the things I think about a lot is a lot of the stuff that makes us different is the hardest stuff we've been through and how we dealt with it. And so you think about how your experience of falling in that crevasse while you're skiing as a 15-year-old, how that shaped your view on the world, how it shaped how you think about who you are and the role in your life. Like that is something that even if someone had the exact same experience, how it changed them is going to be different. And so when we can start to look at the things that make us different and actually celebrate those things, that's when we can start to really tap into our true strengths, our true superpowers, and the things that we can highlight and celebrate to find our unique impact in the world. If we take this kind of to the next level, you know, somebody who's listening to this right now and they're thinking, you know, how do I start making some of these changes for myself? What are two or three pieces of practical advice and things that they could do? So there's a couple of things. One, look, where we all fall short, like the thing that holds us all back, it's not strategy, it's not tactics, it's fear. So the best thing we can do is start to be very intentional about how we shape our mindset, right? I'm a big fan of, and actually, hold on. I always have it on my, on my desk. I'm a big fan of this book, The Happiness Advantage. It's a super practical book. It's, it's genuinely about how happiness is a habit. It's not a gift, right? You can actually just cultivate it with intention. And it has all the science and all the research behind it. So even if you're like the most positive psychology skeptic, this will this will turn it around for you. And so the first thing we can start to do is, is develop habits and, and practices and routines that support us being a happier person. Okay. And that might be gratitude journaling. It might be meditating. It might be, you know, a whole bunch of other things, but we've got to kind of figure out what are the ways that we can start to shift our mindset so we can show up as just a happier, more positive version of ourselves. I think the other thing though, is really getting in touch with our why and our purpose. And this is a hard one 
okay, that's, it, that's not easy. Like that's a journey. It's not a destination, but really thinking through what are the things that genuinely motivate us? And, and sometimes it's, it's looking back to what are the things that we loved as kids, right? What are the books that we read or the movies that we watch that leave us feeling super inspired? And can we start to kind of go down that rabbit hole of figuring out like what drives us? And the last thing I'd say is, and you're a phenomenal example of this with this podcast is we got to start doing things that scare us. Okay. And it doesn't have to be huge things. Okay. It doesn't have to be like jumping out of a freaking airplane, but doing something little that scares us every single day, whether it's posting something really honest on social media or asking that boy or that girl out, or I don't know, taking a class. Okay. Like, and I have to work my way up to it. The thing that scares me most in life is singing in public. No joke. I'm terrified. Absolutely terrified. You will never get me to sing karaoke. I might yell karaoke. You'll never get me to sing karaoke. It's, it's terrifying. So, but there's a couple of other things that I'm a little bit intimidated of first. So I've, I've been an amateur kind of crappy photographer for years. I've decided I want to get more serious about it. So I'm actually starting to take a photography class. That's going to help me do something that makes me uncomfortable, makes me nervous. Okay. The other thing I used to be almost fluent in Spanish, but I haven't spoken it in like 20 years. And it's terrifying for me to like be in a awkwardly try to speak Spanish. Okay. So I'm going to start taking Spanish lessons again. And then once I get through those two, I'm going to take some singing lessons. All three of those things scare me to varying degrees. So the whole idea is like, find things that scare you and face those fears. And I've learned even before this experience, if I have an opportunity and my only reason for not doing it is because it scares me, that means I have to. And when we can start to face our fears, it starts to become easier and easier to be uncomfortable and to know that we can get through it. Well, I think I can help you with the singing because if you check my episode seven, I have three women who's full singer and voice teacher and who really work on getting people who were told they couldn't sing and get everybody to sing. So I'll send you the contact after the episode. Do you bring this idea of doing something that scares you and you help your clients figure out things maybe that they can do in their work? That's something that scares them, like asking for a raise or? One of the things that I am very, very passionate about is the whole concept of personal branding. And there's a reason why. Personal branding forces us to do a bunch of things that help elevate us in all aspects of our life. Okay. Like you can't build a personal brand. If you don't know, you, you don't know what you want to talk about. You don't know who you want to reach. You don't know your purpose and your why, right? So you got to do that work. Personal branding for most people is freaking terrifying. Posting something on social media, recording a video and posting it. And so going through that process of putting ourselves out there and doing it with consistency and doing it regularly, that can wind up being helping us face our fears on a regular basis and get comfortable with it and get better and better at it. And the other thing about personal branding that I think is super important is my big emphasis with personal branding is, is relationship building. When we have kind of our, our, the people in our corner, right? The people we can rely on. And I want to be very clear the four women that did the most for me when I was recovering from this attack were four women that I met on LinkedIn through the personal branding work that I did. Like these are the women that 
started a GoFundMe. These are the women that had groceries delivered to my house every single week for like six weeks, like all of that. So it's also you you start to kind of find your your gang on the playground, so to speak. And that also makes facing your fears just a little bit easier. I love this because I think most people think of personal branding and social media as a very shallow activity, but like you have just you know, first of all, like the the fact that to do it well, you need to really go very deep and figuring out who you are. And then the fact that it's a way to conquer fear, it's, a, it's actually like a really, it's a growth activity. It is absolutely a growth activity. And I think it's the most underrated ones. And so it's, to me, it is fascinating. I will work with clients that are like, yeah, no, I know I need to do this personal branding thing for my business, but I absolutely hate it. I don't want to do it. And what you'll find is that by the time we get kind of through this process, or even halfway through this process, they are more confident. They are more driven. They have more direction because you've got to do this work of figuring out why the heck you want to do this in the first place, like why it matters. And and I'm a big believer, like I don't love Gary Vee for a lot of reasons, but there's one thing he says that I firmly agree with. And it's the whole idea that unless you are at least 51% altruistic, personal branding ain't going to work for you. And so the idea that you have to be superficial or shallow or self-centered in order to make personal branding work is completely and utterly wrong. And the people that do it well are the ones that genuinely care about impact and giving and making a difference. Well, this is a great point to ask you one of my favorite questions, which is, since we talk about things that you like and didn't like from Gary Vee, what are some of the business cliches or business phrases that drive you crazy? You know, it's funny because I don't know that there's a bunch of cliches that drive me crazy. There's a couple of practices that I see lately that really bug me. And the first is the the whole idea of like publicly shaming someone because they don't do something right. Like, so there's this trend of sales leaders who like to talk about how they're super positive and really good, kind people. And then they screenshot sales messages that they don't like not not blurring out the person and publicly shaming someone because they didn't they didn't do it in the way that they like and i think that's absolutely disgusting anybody that uses their platform to shame someone else i think is i don't i just think it's vile and i will say it's like there is one time where i took a screenshot of someone who sent me an incredibly nasty message on linkedin and i was like don't be this guy don't do this to people But other than that, like we have this opportunity and especially once you build a little bit of notoriety for yourself, we have an opportunity to lift people up. And the idea that you would use your platform to tear someone down or make them feel small or shame someone I think is just disgusting. Um, And that, that is a trend that really, really bugs me. And I really wish we could just all collectively be like, yeah, we're not going to do this anymore. Thank you. That's really good. Um, final question. Is, is there, a, I call it food for the body or food for the soul? Is there either a dish or a drink? Or if you want to go to the soul side, a book or a piece of art or piece of music that really, really invigorates you. I'm going to give you two. So food, I'm a... 
I'm a foodie. So any meal that is like decadent and good, you'll also know though that I eat an incredibly healthy diet. So um, I actually had to do a little bit of traveling for work and weirdly spent um, one night in Vegas by myself this weekend. So what did I do? I ate just like ridiculously good food all weekend. So we're talking like, you know, $120 steak just for myself. <laughs> A um, couple $30 glasses of champagne. Um, I am a big believer in um, treating yourself to a decadent meal and savoring every single bit of it. So I did not have my phone out. I just savored every single bite and I actually, I stuffed myself silly. But for the mind, I think the most underrated television show um, of the last year is a show called Ted Lasso. It is so positive. It is so heartwarming. It makes me laugh. It makes me cry. It makes me laugh, cry every single episode. And the whole thing is truly about being the best versions of ourselves that we possibly can be. And I just, I think we need more of that. Most television these days is really freaking depressing. And Ted Lasso, I've now watched it. No joke. I think I'm halfway through my fifth round of season one, because it always puts me in a good mood. And I think we need more of that. And, and um, I believe that we are what we consume and that means food. Yes. But that also means content and energy. And so we all need to be a little bit more intentional about what we consume and how it impacts us, how it shapes us. And so Ted Lasso was kind of my like, my cure all for any, any, any negative feeling you've got, Ted Lasso is going to, going to solve it. I'm like, I, I, I'm a proselytizer for that TV show. <laughs> I love it. I have i I've watched it twice. I have to say that when I started the first time that I heard about it as a European living here is like, of course, here is the American show with the smart American coach who show he doesn't know anything about shocker, but he ends up being better than all the Europeans. And then like I watched it and it's, it is a beautiful show. Yeah. I just watched it the second time with my son who was home from college briefly. And it was great. It's just a very, it's a very good reminder that we can all show up and be um, better versions of ourselves. And so, you know, I do say that I, I dream of being a modern day female, Mr. Rogers, but I also dream of being a, I mean, he's modern, but like an actual real life female version of Ted Lasso. Well, I think this is an excellent point to stop. I think we all should be a little more Ted Lasso's. Casey, thank you so much for coming over, for being so honest and so open. Thank you so much. It was great having you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave a rating or a review, tell a friend, tell a few friends, subscribe, and post about the podcast in social media. If you like music, stick around. At the end of the credits, I am going to share one more song by my wife, Susan Catania, one of Boston's best Americana singer-songwriters. You can find Casey on her website at abetterjones.com, spelled A-B-E-T-T-E-R, J-O-N-E-S dot com. She's also using at a better Jones as her handle on Twitter and Instagram. And on LinkedIn, she's at linkedin.com backslash in backslash a better Jones. 
You can find me online at al4ep.com with the number four, so al4ep.com. And you can also email me at dino at al4ep.com. You can also find the podcast on social networks, Instagram and Twitter. The handle is at al4edp. And I am on LinkedIn and on Facebook. You can look for Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was recorded and produced by me, Dino Cattaneo, with additional editing by Fullcast. The theme music was composed, produced, and arranged by Nicholas Cattaneo, who also played keyboards and drums, with Tony Savarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. Choosing the song for this episode was pretty easy. Carried is a song about going through major trauma events. Susan wrote it with Jenny Halstead, whom you may recall from our episode 7. Enjoy. I can hold